Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We got Sikat Jane with me here today. Socket, this is a great opportunity. I really appreciate you giving me your time. So before we kick things off, I want to remind everybody, head over to Socket's website, impactwealthbuilders.com. You're going to learn a lot about him and what his team is doing there. But we're going to be covering a lot of ground today, especially regarding not only developing that investor mindset, but finding a variety of actionable strategies regarding building your purpose and your drive in your real estate investing. So Saka, I really appreciate your time here today. Great. Thank you, Jack. And thank you everyone who's listening on your on this podcast. I really appreciate the opportunity. And I look forward to having a conversation here and sharing. I'm hoping by the time we end this, I can add a lot of value to your audience. I know you will. So I gotta we always start things off a little bit socket is that first of all i don't want it i want you to go down the road of giving us your origin story because i'm sure you've told this story a million times but could you give us the crib notes how did you get into real estate investing yes i think like everyone else like most of your audience maybe i was a nine-to-five guy back in 2016 i got laid off and that's really where my kick started my real estate journey and what ended up being more of taking control of my own financial situation and not being a victim or any from somebody's decision that I was not part of, I essentially took the bull by the horn and started as generating passive income for myself, which eventually became a passion for tax savings. And in my current employment right now at Airbnb, that essentially helped me a lot because when the company went public, that's really the strategies I used to offset some of my taxes through the RSUs that were given to me. So it ended up becoming, it started as, let me take control of my financial health to now offering to get to gaining financial independence to now being able to offer to others. So hopefully my journey and my path can inspire others in the same path. Being a person in the same situation, I've lived in Cubeville for quite a bit of my career. I like that. I'm going to steal that. Cubeville. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually really hard to break out of that mindset. In your situation, you mentioned that you were let go, which kind of forced you to take a look at this. What do you think about when, when people stuck in this nine to five and then the, I'm going to say this fictional belief that they're safe in that world? Yes, I think that's, uh, we could talk at, we could talk days on that topic, right? Because that, but I pondered a lot. So I think one of that is, there's only two ways I think the learnings can happen, right? So one is actively participating in the learning process and you think you have some control on it. The other is you become the victim of your own situations. Unfortunately, like myself, a lot of individuals are, I don't have a way out of taking control of this. My fate is dependent on a company's decision. And I just don't know anything else to do. When it happened to me, it actually became very clear because I come from a very good pedigree. I have an MBA from Columbia, right? I have an engineering degree from IIT, which is one of the top universities in India. Look at my pedigree, I had never expected I could ever be laid off. Impossible, right? When that happened to me, I went into a shock and despair 
and disgust and frustration, kind of like everyone else would go through. So for me, when I, what, for the path that I've taken now, I'm realizing I did not have to wait for that to happen. I could have actually, if, I, if somebody gave me the path or exposed me the path of that being a possibility, I could have spent a lot more time actively, not a lot of time, it doesn't take a lot of time, but it takes a lot of exposure and talking to those folks like yourselves and now me, where how has their path has been for, the, for financial independence and not being dependent on somebody else. So when that trigger happened, so looking back, I should not have had to wait for a situation like that to happen in my life in order for me to change some of the course correct, some of the paths that I was taking. I was fully vested in 401k. The stock market was predominantly my, my go-to investment vehicle. I had a financial advisor. So you would think that I did everything by the book of what I was told. But when the unfortunate decision was made for me and my team to let go, that's when I realized that I needed something different to do. And what I believe, I think to answer your question directly is, you can wait for things to happen to go wrong in your life and then approach up how to fix it. Or you could ask a question, what is everyone else around me doing differently? Not the same thing. And through that path, through your journey, through my journey, through several other people's journey of finding financial freedom, you'll realize that there are a lot of paths to building financial wealth, not just a job. A job is a great thing to get you to certain other goals. And I'm not going to advise everyone should quit their job tomorrow. That's not for me to say when do you quit your job, but you can build your financial wealth passively through other paths that are available to you. I bring this concept up quite a bit, and maybe my the listeners are tired of me bringing it up at this point, but I got to keep hammering it, this fact in, into everybody's head, is the concept that for the most part, as humans, we will respond typically to pain. We'll take action because of that versus doing what you're suggesting and planning this out and pr- doing the necessary preparation in case something like what you just experienced happens. What kind of strategies or tactics did you come to the conclusion finding that that people have to go through in order to get their mind so that they do take the action? Otherwise, as well as I do, most of most people are just going to wait till it happens and then scramble to try to find a solution yeah. because now they're in it. I think, I can't remember who's, I think it was Earl Nightingale who said, that the opposite of courage is not cowardness, it's conformity. And I think the real challenge that I had was I was a conformist, right? This is what I've been told. This is what everyone else is doing around me. There's nothing else exists. And if there's anything else, if, there, if somebody else was telling me a path, it's a scam, right? There's something in it for them. So I had a very closed mindset to, I thought I had growth mindset, but I really had a very closed mindset to what other options may be available to me. So for when that incident happened to me and I was let go, for me, it took a while for me to flip the switch to let shift from victim to being a victor. And there's a book that I co-author right now, I'm more than happy to offer your audience as well, where their whole story is about, you can learn more about my story. But when the switch flipped, that's really when I started looking at who do I talk to? And I realized my ecosystem was essentially just me. It was my thinking. It was my belief. When I surrounded myself with folks who were thinking similar to me about job, about finances, about creating wealth. And 
I could not find an answer. So I started looking answers from, from elsewhere. I started talking to, I started expanding my ecosystem. Didn't necessarily mean that I changed my social surrounding, but I started to expand my social surrounding to folks who, who may have answers. And how I found them was through podcasts, through seminars, through masterminds, through networking, uh, through other real estate groups and other opportunities like oil and gas and businesses. So I just went all out and looking for people. And it's, again, another, another saying that, I've, that I live by is when the student is ready, a teacher appears. The moment I shifted my mindset from not being a conformist to being more, to being more courageous in my own exploration, a lot of individuals started helping me. Right? They, the path became clearer and clearer. It still needed me to act. Right? So there's one thing about being exposed to something. The other thing is about acting on something. So that mindset, I'm very fortunate that incident happened in my life. It was very painful. It was not something that I wish on anybody else to happen. But for me, it was the life-changing moment for me. It kicked me. It life kicked me where I need, when I needed to be, where I felt very comfortable with life. So my strategies were, who else was doing it? How can I compress that timeline to learn, to expose myself to different opportunities? And then I just went all in. You took such a different approach to it. I, I got to keep coming back to that is the fact that you were trying to find some answers where most people, when they were let, they're let go of a job, they would instantly be looking for the next job and they would put all of their eggs in that basket. Is, was there something else that's going on there that up until then that made you decide to, okay, I'm not going to get into the same position again? So it's interesting you say that I was in the same path. I was looking for jobs. I was, I mean, we, to talk a little bit about the story itself as in, we moved in with my in-laws. We took the kids out of two daughters. We took them out of the private school. And as an immigrant who migrated from India about a decade ago at that, from that time, I could not tell my parents back home that I was let go. It was very humiliating for me. Doesn't mean it was right or wrong. That's the emotion that I felt at that time. And in that mindset, again, when, when you start looking at reflecting back on life, it tell, it, everything makes sense. At that time, it did not. With the mindset I had, and again, very thankful for the mindset, there was no way I could have found a job. It was almost impossible because I was not at the top of my game to project my best self. So when that happened, I think it was just, I was kicked several times. Now I don't have a job and I'm not getting new offers while I have done everything right in the normal terms, that's when I started thinking that there's something more. Either, either I'm doing something completely wrong or my life just sucks or there's something more that I'm not exposed to right now. It took me a process. It took about three to four months to get me to a point where there's more that I need to look for. Whatever I've been thinking of life and, and finances to be, there's more to it. That's when I really started. So I would say I was following the same path of let me find another job. How much, how many more months can I survive with my savings? How much 401k should I liquidate? All those emotions and all that thought process I went through as well. Again, very fortunate that I had in-laws who were able to house us. We had some savings that carried us through, but also very thankful that nobody hired me. But, and then I saw it the moment my mindset shifted, I took control of the situation. Airbnb offered me a job. 
So now I'm with Airbnb. I'm, I have RSUs, but that time lag that happened between my previous job and Airbnb, I was able to use that time to, I think, accelerate my path forward to make sure if that I cannot prevent a company laying me off. That's not in my control. What in my control is my own financial situation, my own mindset, and my own approach to life at that point, if something were to happen again. Yeah, that's really is really telling. And in in the end, too, I've read some other things about you, Socket, that that gives me the impression, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm seeing a lot of interest in finding a purpose in your work and finding some way to drive, or especially the younger people. But in a lot of the stuff that I've seen about you, it almost comes off as you're, you suggest that you need to build the mission in your job, in your life. Would that be fair to say? Uh, it is fair. And again, that's a very relatively new happening right now. I lost about five of my family members last year, including my mom and my dad, my mom and my sister. And then the COVID hit me pretty bad earlier this year, that's when I realized that life's too short, right? Kind of like we don't know when our time is. Everyone's time is there at some point. Who knows when? Most of us, including me, wait for things to happen after our financial life is secured. We're all thinking that once we make X amount of money, whatever that X needs to be for everyone that's different, we would do Y things in life. However, there's a pretty subtle thing that's missing in that whole statement. One is you may not have that much time. You may not be that healthy, right? You're, you may never get to that financial situation that you're expecting to be. So what can we do differently now to add value to, to, add value to life, to make our dent in the universe, however small it may be? And that's really when I started thinking about what is, our, what is my purpose and how can I help other people find their own purpose, especially if we can help create a platform where individuals can meet their financial needs or at least put a step towards that, right? For some, it may take a month. For some, it may take a decade. Who knows? It all depends upon what your starting point is, but there is a path. However, what our goal is, my wife and my goal is to essentially create a platform where everything is purpose-driven. And for me and my wife, the purpose is education. So anything that we do is about mindset and education first investment second. That does not mean we sacrifice investor goals. We take investments very seriously. However, we want to make sure that everyone's coming into our ecosystem. We're bringing them, we're bringing their entire family together. Mm -hmm. It's not just them. It's their kids. It's their kids' kids. Hopefully the entire generation comes along for the journey. And to serve actually a way more important goal, which is to uplift the entire community. Right? I grew up, like a lot of other folks, in a very humble beginning in India, we didn't have a lot of money to do a lot of stuff. But I think to, for me, I believe, not I think, I believe my education that my parents were able to provide me is the reason why I'm here. So education is not the only way to uplift, to lift your financial situation, but it is probably the most fastest path and surest path to get you out. Now, what you do out of there, that's a very different thing, but it can set fire. It can accelerate your growth. Uh, to get off to to get out of their financial situations today, so we want to essentially help our investors and our and your audience and anyone else who wants to join forces with us to essentially use the money that we generate to help educate kids that don't have means to that 
to meals to uh, to platforms. That's really the purpose behind everything that we do now. Let's again to learn more about what Socket is doing. Head over to impactwealthbuilders.com, and I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. But with that being said, Socket, what you you mentioned you work for Airbnb, but your investment strategy looks very different. What are you investing in today? Yeah, so we, I believe in real estate 100%. And within that real estate, we have a few, we have a small portfolio of single family homes. But I realized when we had single family homes, it'll take us forever to, to get to a point where, where I'll have to have, I'll have to buy probably 100 properties to get to a point where the monthly passive income is going to be a point where we could have financial freedom. Or the alternative we found was multifamily. So we invest heavily in multifamily not just for tax benefits, but predominantly for the inflation hedge, given the current uncertainties that are available in the market, which are, again, beyond your control. And we use that as our primary investment vehicle. Beyond that, we also invest in, in energy, oil and gas. We invest in Bitcoin mining. We invest in, in other classes within real estate, mobile home parks, and, and some short-term rentals as well. Mm-hmm. But I would say core of my portfolio is going to be multifamily. Sure. Is there a certain class that you're looking at? We try to look at B and C predominantly. That's really where we can add value to the properties. Our focus has always been over 100 plus in areas that are growing. The macro has to make sense for us. We are predominantly focused on Southern Belt, Phoenix, Arizona, Houston, Texas, a lot of the other, even North Carolina. We're focusing on the markets where the macro makes sense. And then we partner with a lot of operators in these markets because I can't be everywhere else. So I look for a very strong team of operators that I can partner with to make sure that we can join forces and expand our investor base as well. So you're adding value to these properties. What are some of those things that you're typically looking for? Again, like everything has to be done through purpose, right? So we feel there's always a financial motive to do anything that we do, especially when we raise capital and bring other investors into the group. But we're looking at foremost, the point of view is, how can we make our communities better? How can we create an environment that's more sustainable for them and they actually enjoy living in there while we're also delivering the profits to our investors, return to our investors? So a few things would be community, community areas. We're big into bringing the social groups together where people can actually feel like they belong in that community. They're not just living there. They're building a community that's thriving in that area. We would add, we would add some children play area. We would try to build some common things that our uh, Thanksgiving dinners, stuff like that. We're basically enhancing individuals' value through social through social programs. And we also make sure the inside of the units are something that people are happy about. It's not, we're, we're, we're not, there's not, I'm not against being slumlords, but that's not the path I take. But our path is to make sure that our folks are enjoying their Whatever time they live, hopefully everything, everyone stays with us for a long time, but our path is going to be making sure that their lives are comfortable. So interiors are going to get renovated. Where we can add washer dryer, we will add washer dryers. Where we can make sure we enhance the laundry machines services, we will do that. In certain places, we would add filtered water that gets provided as well. So you don't have to go to a grocery shop to get your RO water. We could provide that. We would add some Amazon lockers in some cases where it makes sense. We would, add, we would provide our tenants with some valet trash services. Not everything works in every single market. 
we're going to be market dependent on what we can deliver, but our goal is going to be always look at point of view from how can we add value? How can we impact our community who is living there in a positive manner while delivering investor returns as well? You know, this it's interesting, the approach you're taking there. Is there an expected target for the type of returns that you're looking for? We're always aiming for 15 to 20% IRR for three to five year hold. That's our target always. We're looking at somewhere between 1.8 to 2xing the capital. So if somebody were to invest $500,000, our goal, uh, our target is to get them somewhere about a million dollars back, which includes $500,000 of their invested capital between three to five years. Now the market's getting a little bit shift. And as you're aware, that market's shifting a little bit. The capital markets are not as reliable as they used to be about a year, two years ago. So we're trying to take a very conservative approach now to make sure that whatever assets we bring on, we can hold on to them if the market fluctuation continues. Now, we're not expecting, we were expecting the dust to settle down and bring, hopefully there's going to be some certainty back in the capital markets, but we're not slowing down. We're just being very cautious. Earlier, you mentioned having boots on the grounds in the different markets. How are you networking and finding these individuals and making sure they're a good fit? Yeah, I have a whole due diligence that I put my own operators through, right? First of all, I can't meet them yesterday and go into a deal with them tomorrow. That's just not going to work for me. I need to make sure that I see their operations. I've invested with them. Ideally, that would be the great thing for me to see how they are operating on the asset that I've put my own money in. I court them. I'd meet with them in person for six to seven months before I actually move forward in investing in a relationship with them. Now, when I look at them in my due diligence process, I want to make sure that they have few things, that they have at least two to five years of experience. I want to look at pre-COVID experience and a post-COVID experience, right? Like now, when I say post-COVID, like 2020s, 2021, 2022, what have they been doing? Because as the market's been very frothy for the last few years, right? So everyone has been able to deliver great results. So I can't, res- I can't depend on what results were produced because of the market. I want to figure out a way to essentially separate the market, the growth that the market produced versus the growth that the operator was able to produce. And there's going to be, a, which essentially comes down to a lot of folks, how much invested capital they have in their own operations. Whether they're running it as a business or they're running it as a one-off investments. I'll give you an example of the partner that I have in Phoenix right now. He has fully vertically integrated business, right? So we have our own property management company, our own construction company, our own warehouse, our own properties in the Arizona market. So that operator is, and it's also, he's very capitalized. So should we, should the market shift and we have to put in our own extra money, we do not have to go back to the investors to make, to raise more money. We would be putting in our own capital to essentially storm the weather while we can. So those are some of the strategies that I'm applying right now. And I'm never going to, investor results, are, investor returns are the most important things to me. So I'll never sacrifice investor returns to build just a relationship with, with an operator. You mentioned as well that you still have a hold a few single family homes, but you realize pretty quickly that you need to get into multifamily. Otherwise, it's, it's all about scale, right? Correct. right? Correct. Are you... Do you regret not jumping right into multifamily? Do you suggest more people jump directly into multifamily? More times than not, it seems like 
that seems to be aspirational versus the norm. I So my personal recommendation, if I were to give my daughters, if they ever listen to my advice, this is what I would tell, <laughs> this is what I would tell them. You can start slow or you can go big. Now, going big, if you want to go big, you want to go into multifamily early on. Excuse me. However, that comes with its own challenges. It's not, it's when you, when somebody acquires a multifamily, I realized early on, you're buying a business, you're not buying a property. So now, and not everyone can run a business. Not, and not everyone has the wherewithal and not everyone has the time or the liking to run a business. So what I would recommend is going to multifamily early on, however, invest passively first. Learn through folks like yourselves and other syndicators available where they're great operators. They are they're putting their own money where their own where their investments are, and they are able to teach the path. Right again, education for us is very important. So what I don't want is my investors to give me the money and then say, "See you after five years." That's not the that's not the ideal investor for me. So ideal investor for me who wants to grow, who wants to learn. And what we want to make sure is that we get you to a point where if you were to run a multifamily apartment by yourselves, you at least have the experience, the knowledge, and the network to go do that yourself if you wanted to. Now, once most of the investors, after their first apartment or second apartment, they were like, this is not for me. Single family is a very secure, easy, and you can wrap your mind around it. But again, it's coming from a very limited mindset that I want control. I don't want scale. I don't want expansion. It gives you the control, but that control comes with a lot of strings attached to it. Um, again, it's a very individual decision of which path you want to take, but just evaluate, ask yourself the question of why you're doing it. Are you doing it because of fear? You're doing it because of lack of understanding or you're doing it because that's the only thing you want to do and you're okay with whatever the outcomes need to be. If it's a first two, which is fear and exposure, I would advise to invest a little bit more time into talking to in talking to other folks who have done that and making sure that you're going in with an educated mindset versus a limited mindset. Yeah. One one of the things that strikes me, Socket, just talking to you here, it seems like you are you take it take it slow. You you're but once you make up your mind and once you learn to a certain level of comfort, you take action versus being in any kind of analysis paralysis. That's interesting you say that because my wife would say the exact same thing about me that once you make up, once I make up my mind, I can't stop. But it takes me time. I want to make sure that when I'm going into something, I do my own analysis, but not to a point where I am not able to take an action. I'm okay making mistakes, my own money and learning from it and adapting to it. I'm not okay learning on somebody else's money, right? That's why a lot of my investments were initially my own investments, right? I want to make sure that I know what I'm doing. So what I just said, I exactly did the same thing. I invested with past, with other operators who actually knew how to run the business. And through them, I learned. I was a very active, passive investor. And through them, I learned and then essentially jumped in full-time with full force for myself as well to make sure that I can bring that opportunity to others. So you're right. You're very perceptive. I am not going to jump on anything tomorrow just because I learned something today. I'll take my time to understand it, but I will act pretty soon. It won't take, it won't take me five years to act. 
And you're not one to seem to shy away from partnerships. Like before somebody gets into a partnership with your experience, what questions or what should they be, what should they type of an analysis should they do to make that partnership might be a good fit? So partnership is very tricky. Most partnerships, if depending upon how you entered in the partnership, it may or may not work. Like for example, it's what I, what I look at partnership as it's a marriage. It's at least a three to five years marriage. When I, and when, I, when we're specifically talking about multifamily, any acquisition for multifamily that, that I do with other operators, it's a three to five year marriage and you cannot divorce um, because the divorce your investors are your children in that case and they are not going to be happy about it because it's going to become messy. So going to, an, going to a partnership eyes wide open, especially on an active basis. And the question that I look for is, I ask the first question, what is their personal philosophy? Like, are they, are, what is their origin? What is their creation story? And if I don't, if our creation stories don't gel, I actually end the partnership right there, discussions right there. Now, in a very cordial manner, I'm not just going to walk out on, on anybody, but I have made up my mind already that I'm not going in with anybody who does not believe in a mission, in a purpose, who is only looking for investors, investor returns. That's not me. That's very transactional from where I, from how I look at life. I want to make sure that everyone's trying to add value in their own way. That may not be my way, but as long as they're trying to add value non-financially to everyone else, that's the most important thing for me. So the way I look at it is what's their purpose? What's their mission? And is it an alignment there? Second is going to be what is their path? What is the time? What, what is the time horizon look for them in the next five to 10 years? Is it a one-time and done deal? They just want to get 100-unit apartment, get some passive income, and they're done with it? Or they actually want to build a business to a point where we could depend on their operations and scale? So that's another thing for me, which is very important. And the third thing is going to be how willing they are to, to put more of their money at risk as compared to what the investors are putting in. So I always make sure that my partners and me are putting way beyond that we're making the making in the acquisition fee. Because I look at acquisition fee as a funny money, right? Kind of like you made a million dollar, you invested a million dollar. There's a very less capital that's at risk for the syndicators. So I want to make sure that my partners and I are putting in a lot more money than the acquisition fee to make sure that we're putting we're putting our we're putting our own money at risk, not the money that we got from the investors. Asaka, this has been a great conversation. I want to remind everybody one more time, head over to impactwealthbuilders.com. But Asaka, I kind of warned you I had a few rapid fire questions sure. for you if you're ready to give them a shot. Yeah, let's do it. First of all, you've been in this game for quite a while. You've probably seen all kinds of promises and myths when it comes to real estate investing. What is one real estate investing myth you'd like to bust here today? I think the biggest one's going to be everyone's out there. Every syndicator is out there to steal my money. I've been called a scammer. I've been called, prove me you're not going to steal my money. So I think it's, it's one, of the, one of the limiting beliefs that everyone has with real estate, that real estate is that other people are trying to steal your money uh, for their own benefit. I'm sure there are individuals like that. I'm sure. But most of us are not in the business for doing that, right? That's a big, keep an open mind of at least listening to individuals, do your own due diligence, do your own thinking behind it, apply your own macro analysis on it. 
but keep an open mind. Just don't keep a closed mind because somebody else is making the money from your investment. Everyone is making the money from everyone else's investment, including stock market and mutual funds, right? No service is being offered for free. So everyone else put to put food on the table for their own family. And that's exactly how syndicators are doing it. So if, you, if they did it for free, just be, just be, be assured that your investment is not going to work. So just because somebody else is doing, making the money off of it does not mean, does not mean they're going to steal your money. Sure. Everybody has one, but what book would you recommend everybody checking out? For that, Robert Kiyosaki, I cannot emphasize that book enough. It changed my life. It changed everyone's life that around me. I would say if you only had to read one book, it's going to be Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And if you want to pair that with something else, it's going to be Think and Grow Rich. The only, the only thing I would add for Think and Grow Rich is I think the title is misleading because there's a whole chapter dedicated to action there. You can't just think your way to become rich. You have to act your way. You have to change your thinking, change your mindset, and then make sure you're acting on it to build your road to wealth. In your real estate journey, we've all made mistakes. What is the biggest mistake you've made and what did you learn from it? My biggest mistake was pretty, pretty expensive, Jack. I, it was my first deal that I had invested about five months into to make sure that I do the own proper due diligence and everything else. However, unfortunately, that deal didn't come to fruition and we lost our hard money. So what I quickly realized is that this is a game and I call it a game because it is a game. All right. It's anything else you got to play. You're playing different positions at different times. What we learned from that mistake was that once the deal is signed, once the PSA is signed, which is the purchase sale agreement is signed, you're, you still have to take control of what the seller is doing on the finances. You have to play a very active role till the point you close. Because in our case, our loan proceeds were cut by $2.4 million because of some financial statements, the way they were the way they were closed two weeks before the loan was going to get closed, right? So we quickly learned that this is why individuals say that make sure you partner with somebody who knows more than you. Because while you could do everything that you know of doing and you thought you would know everything, but there may be things unknown that can come across and you need to be, you need to be able to depend on somebody else to make sure that we're crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's. If you could go back into time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Mindset. Keep an open mind. Keep your growth mindset. Keep, stay curious. Remain curious, right? That's the only thing I would say to anyone, including me. If I were to go back 20, 30, 40 years ago, stay curious. Look at everything from a student's mindset where you're learning something from it. Do not close, the, do not close your understanding before even delving into it. Socket, again, this was a great opportunity for me. I really appreciate you being on the show. To give you the last word, though, is there a question or concept you wished we would have covered here today? I think we'd probably take a lot more time to do that as in stock market versus real estate, which is good. Yeah. Uh, that's, I would love to have a conversation at some point on that, but that's a, way, that's a completely different episode. Yeah, I could have went down a million different ways. I, I would have loved to chat a little bit about your crypto mining in, investing yeah. and your short-term investing and there's a variety of things that you have going on. One last time, impactwealthbuilders.com. But Zakat, I really appreciate you being here with me. Well, thank you, Jack. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Really appreciate it. 
Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.